0: I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up on today's programme, Charles Hecker joins me in the studio and we'll have a look through the world's papers. And then we'll look at how Donald Trump's supporters are weaponising conspiracy theories. First, though, here's the news. President Vladimir Putin visited the commander of Russia's operation in Ukraine and other top military brass, the Kremlin said today. A meeting that came after Ukraine claimed counter-offensive gains on the Southeastern Front. In other news from Russia, the Foreign Ministry has banned 54 British nationals and people working for UK organisations from entering the country in retaliation for UK sanctions on its citizens. Thailand's self-exiled former Prime Minister, Thaksin Shinawatra, plans to return to the country on Tuesday, his daughter said today, amid prolonged political uncertainty after a May national election. Also scheduled for Tuesday is another parliamentary vote for Prime Minister to be nominated by the Thaksin-backed Po Thai Party. U.S. President Joe Biden and the leaders of South Korea and Japan met at Camp David on Friday. They've agreed to deepen military and economic cooperation and made their strongest joint condemnation yet of dangerous and aggressive behavior by China in the South China Sea. And Australia's Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has promised 200 million Australian dollars for women's sport. Albanese said the funds would be used to improve sports facilities and equipment for women and girls, with soccer tipped to need significant resourcing following the Matildas' standout World Cup campaign. And that's your Monocle Radio News. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Monocle on Saturday, and welcome back to Charles Hecker, who's been off on his travels. You're now back safely in the studio next to me, just where I like you.
1: And delighted to be here. Good morning, Georgina.
0: (laughs) Good morning. Now, that last story was, of course, about football, uh, the Women's World Cup going on in Australia, and I believe Sweden and Australia kicking off any minute now.
1: That's right. I have a really important question for you, though, Georgina, and that is, do they call it soccer in Australia, or do they call it football? I don't know. I think they call it soccer there because they play something like something that looks like American football. I hear Andrew Muller screaming in the, down, you know, down, <laughs> down the phone now. Um, I think that they have games called football in Australia. And so when it comes to the thing that you kick around with your feet, the round ball, I think they call it soccer.
0: Okay. Well, they are about to start kicking off anyway. (laughs) The runners-up, the Matildas, are playing Sweden today. And, of course, on Sunday, uh, it's Britain, the Lionesses, uh, and they are facing Spain.
1: That's right. And there is a bit of football fever um, taking place here in the UK. Um, I'm even told that Scottish supporters have, have thrown their weight behind the England team. Um, tiny little social media storm brewing and that the Prime Minister and Prince William, who's, of course, the head of the, the Football Association, are not travelling to Australia as of this moment. And they're getting a bit of flack for it.
0: I can completely see why. I mean, this is absolutely huge.
1: It's massive, and the, and the comparison and the reason why they're coming in for a bit of stick is that if this were a men's final, they would be there already by now, yeah. uh, and they're not.
0: Mm. Although, good for the climate?
1: They'll save a few air miles, I guess. Um, But, uh, you know, this is the first time that an England team has been in a World Cup final since the men did it in 1966. And um, the Labour Party is pursuing an agenda for an extra bank holiday if the Lionesses win. So um, I guess all sports is political in the end.
0: Mm. And I mean, what's extraordinary that the figures that, that that game was the most watched piece of television Ever in history.
1: That's right. The amount of money being generated by the games, um, the amount of viewership and, and the prominence and the return to the significance of, of women's sport. And as you can see, as you mentioned from Albanese's financial support in Australia as a result of the Matilda's performance, um, women's football, women's soccer and women's sports, um, it, you know, as a result of the halo effect are, are very much climbing up the commercial and, and, and television agenda.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, normally at this time of year, that's all we focus on is sport. August is about, you know, the glorious 12th and grouse shooting or whatever, <laughs> going on holiday um, and, uh, and sport. It just doesn't feel like the silly season this year, does it?
1: You're right, Georgina. We've been in the studio over a number of Augusts and you can remember the times when it's been a bit difficult to dig for hard news, uh, you know, in the papers. And this August... Um, You know, the silly season usually sets in because everybody's on holiday and and parliament is in recess and governments around the world have taken the month off and it's usually slow. Um, This August, um, there is absolutely no room for fluff or silly stuff in the papers. We have a war in Ukraine. We have a climate crisis. We have a cost of living crisis. Um, There is any number of urgent stories fighting amongst themselves for space in the newspapers and the silly season, I think for the time being, has been banished.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as you say, the war in Ukraine is is the biggest story. Uh, the Guardian has a, a really interesting piece today and this is about um, f- uh, former Wagner fighters, these people who were taken from prisons, recruited from prisons. Now, of course, they're all free and women in particular in Russia are very worried.
1: That's right. Um, Sean Walker of The Guardian um, has written a story under the following headline, Russian women living is in fear as convicted murderers freed to fight for Wagner, return. And and what this story does is it weaves a couple of very important themes into a very, very compelling piece. Um, And that is that um, when Wagner was recruiting for soldiers, um, it was recruiting in the prisons. And it said, come work for us and serve, if you will. In Ukraine for six months. And when you're done with that, you do not need to return to prison. You are now a free man. Um, The problem is that a lot of the people that signed up for that deal were violent criminals and in many cases violent against women. Um, They have served their six months. They don't have to go back to prison. They don't have to go to the Russian army. uh, And they're going home. And um, this piece in The Guardian um, shows that there are a number of women, you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of women living in fear for their tormentors returning um, to the scene of the crime, quite literally. And um, what The Guardian does is it places this in the broader context of the fact that, that Russia and Russian law doesn't take violence against women very seriously. So this is a specific problem against the backdrop of a much broader problem.
0: Mm. And uh, they cite one incident, which is a woman who had been tortured uh, and the neighbors could hear her screaming. They kept calling the police. Nobody came. Uh, The the torturer who eventually killed her was put away for murder, got 17 years. I think everybody breathed a sigh of relief. Now he's out uh, and he's posting all over social media
1: well that's right and 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 pictures of him in a Wagner uniform um, were sent to the victim's mother uh, and you know she naturally you know became enormously distressed and and afraid um, of what would happen if this man returned home. Um, you know these are violent individuals who have essentially been set free, and this is something that um, most people knew was coming and were predicting and were wondering how this would be resolved. Um, This might have been part of the reason why um, the Russian government was insisting that Wagner soldiers sign contracts with the Ministry of Defense, which of course triggered um, the mutiny on behalf of of Evgeny Prigozhin, the head of Wagner, Mm. and his troops. Um, But we've got basically um, the prison doors essentially flung open. Um, for criminals to, to roam. And as you mentioned, um, in this particular instance, um, this, this incident was reported and the police never showed up. Mm. And, and so what can you count on if this repeats itself when this offender returns home? Um, what makes you think that the police are going to come next time?
0: Mm. And of course, they, they may not be going A, because they're not wanted, or B, because they have just chosen an, another way of life. I think also one of the problems might be that it, it increases the homelessness Uh, population and that these uh, homeless, very violent men will now be on the streets.
1: That's right. Um, Most countries face issues with returning soldiers um, of various description, and that is either with their mental health or their physical health or their economic well-being and and, and how to house them. Um, Russia is, I would suggest, um, rather unprepared for that sort of phenomenon mm-hmm. um, and, and that the social network there is stressed to the max and it's bad enough for returning soldiers and the medical and the social and the financial attention that they need. But then you have these people who are coming out of a private army um, who were in jail. Um, and normally would be right back there mm. uh, and aren't. Mm. And where do you put them and what do you do with them? And how do you sort of, little p, how do you police them mm. um, and remain aware of their presence and where they are and who they're associating with and what they're doing?
0: And, of course, one place that's had huge problems with this is San Francisco. Um, lots of returning veterans uh, going there. You've, there a lot of people on the streets who are former former military. Of course, a lot of drug users, too. But it's a huge, it's become an enormous problem within San Francisco.
1: Um, that's right. Uh, there are any number of stories in the paper, and we're going to get to a San Francisco story in just a second. But there are any number of stories across the paper. This was a cover story in The Economist a few weeks ago about the decline and fall of San Francisco, um, you know, which is otherwise um, one of the most visited cities in the United States and is a global tourist attraction famous for its its natural beauty and, and for its cultural and culinary scenes. Um, But the downtown of San Francisco is gradually hollowing out. Stores are closing. Offices are closing. Real estate prices are in free fall. um, And this is as a result of an inability um, of the city to cope with um, a drug problem, a homeless problem. The fact that, that that. Unusually, in parallel to all of this, San Francisco is one of the wealthiest cities Mm. in the United States as a result of the tech boom in Silicon Valley. Um, And that has priced a lot of people out and is at once sort of a driver of the crisis and a contrast to it.
0: Mm. And one thing that San Francisco residents are really pushing for is better transport networks. They want people to be able to go through the city, but on public transport. And the reason this is a headline right now is that uh, the city has finally permitted 24-7 service of driverless cars, this is a big story in the FT today.
1: That's right. There's a very big story in the FT today under the headline: "Here come the driverless taxis." And you know, after almost a decade, the FT tells us of software development and road testing. Uh, San Francisco has, as you said, um, has unleashed um, a, a, a force of driverless taxis on the city twenty-four-seven, and it's not going very smoothly. The FT tells us. And just as you mentioned, there's a group of protesters who feel that all of this money and all of this investment, and the FT says that this is potentially um, a $50 billion business globally for the companies that manufacture these taxis and for the software companies that program them. This is a multi-billion dollar global business. Uh, And what certain people in San Francisco, what activists are saying is take this money and invest it in public transportation that's accessible to all. And here's what they've done. And this is what the lead of the story tells us. And that is that if you put a traffic cone... You know those sort of orange things that you see around road construction sites. If you put a traffic cone on the hood, um, on the bonnet—that's a bonnet. Yes, sorry, English that's a soccer ones. football hood and bonnet. Um, <laughs> if you put a co- a traffic cone on the bonnet of one of these driverless taxis, it essentially instantly and irreversibly disables them, and it brings to mind the <laughs> the, 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 the the image of of a sort of turtle on its back, um, because there's nothing that this car can do to shake the cone off of the bonnet and what it does is it disrupts its ability to read the traffic around it and and to see the street and and to see pedestrians and other cars what this has done is it has caused absolute chaos on the streets of San Francisco which is a reasonably traffic trafficy place to begin with uh, and the story just goes on um to to talk about um, how this has changed the fabric of the city, and 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 it raises the issue of you know wherever you're reading this story, if you're in London or New York or or or, or anywhere else how your favorite city or how your home city would be changed by the presence of these driverless cars.
0: Yeah. And I love this whole concept. It was called the week of coning. <laughs> and people just went out and put cones on. It was became this big social media campaign, Just that, and a really seemingly very innocent act caused absolute traffic chaos.
1: It's the simplest gesture that you can imagine. You just pick up this thing and you put it on the bonnet of the car, and then all of a sudden chaos ensues. And there, there's a tiny part of me in the back of my head thinking, What about the construction sites that they've removed these traffic cones from? And who's going to be driving into a major dig as a result of it not being protected by traffic cones? Um, But, uh, you know, this is the future. Um, And the proponents of driverless taxis say a few things, and that is that these cars, they assert to us, are reliable, you can never have a drunk driver, you can never have a driver who falls asleep at the wheel, you can never have a driver who's distracted by a mobile phone. Um, And that um, these cars typically are electric cars, so that they are um, less damaging to the environment and and that this is really the only way to go. And so you get this feeling that there's a a clash of cultures and a certain amount of inevitability associated with this development. Mm. And, And I wonder how long it will be before, you know, the next taxi that pulls up in front of your flat or my flat in London is empty.
0: Mm, well, at least you don't have to make small talk with the drivers. <laughs> right. I mean, small that's advantages. A, that's an upside. But poor San Francisco, I mean, earthquakes, all of this homeless crisis, everything like that going on. And now, of course, huge hurricane heading for California, although actually not northern California, where San Francisco is, but, but the south. This is a very big weather story.
1: That's right. And, and, and so this is one of the stories that I think it has pushed the silly season off the front pages, and that is... That whether it is the fires in Canada, in British Columbia um, and Alberta, or whether it is the heat waves in southern Europe um, or um, extreme weather events um, in Asia, um, what we have now is a most unusual weather development um, aimed at Mexico at the moment and heading towards southern California. And that is what is right now a category four hurricane hurricane. Um, hurricanes on the west coast of the United States and on the Pacific coast of Mexico are almost unheard of. And this is the first time ever um, that the U.S. National Weather Service has issued um, a tropical storm warning for the south of California. And and here's what they think is going to happen. Um, The Pacific Ocean is very cold. So ultimately, this storm will weaken. But it will remain so severe that parts of Mexico – and parts of Southern California will get a year's worth of rain in a day. Um, and these are places that are normally quite dry and not prepared for this sort of onslaught. And so whether you are in a populated area and living in one of Southern California's sort of canyons or ravines um, or coastal areas, um, or if you're in Mexico and living next to a fairly arid area, the run, the rain is going to run right off the surface of, of, of that soil. Um, And to wherever it can get to fastest and any people in the way of that or any buildings in the way of that will become inundated.
0: Mm. And how are people preparing for this then?
1: Uh, poorly. So um, you hear that, you know, there are the people are putting boarding up their windows and, and they're they're filling sandbags and they're stocking up on groceries. Um, you know, Californians have become a fairly resilient bunch. They're used to wildfires and they, are, they have had earthquakes. And so I suppose that they're digging into some of this. Rain and rainstorms in California are incredibly rare. Um, these are the kinds of things that, that are like blizzards in the Northeast. And that is that they lead to massive pileups on the highways because people in Southern California, bless every last one of them, can't drive in the rain. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and and so they're preparing as they can and, and digging into some of their other brands of resilience to get ready for this, this this rainstorm.
0: I just want to talk about a book for a second because it's relevant um, because it mentions a, a flood in, in California, in, in, in L.A. And it's this fantastic book called Open Throat by Henry Hoke. And it's about a, a queer mountain lion living in a canyon in LA. Uh, and then eventually it's sort of, and, and this is based on a true story. There was a mountain lion. We do not, not sure of its sexuality. Um, and, but the book is incredibly well written. And at one point, that it kind of gets flooded in this basement. That was all I wanted to say. But I also wanted to obviously give a plug for Meet the Writers because Henry Hoke is one of the guests on the program talking about this. And it's just fascinating, absolutely fascinating.
1: Um, I enjoyed your most recent episode and that was the gentleman who wrote the book about the history of Cold War spying.
0: Oh, Calder Walton. Wasn't he fantastic?
1: It was a really, really riveting interview. Um, he must have been fantastic to me.
0: Oh, he, he, he really was. Um, just back to disaster prep. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, because that's different, isn't it? Preparing for disaster is different from being a doomsday prepper.
1: Um, there is a species of human who is convinced that the world will end. Um, In a natural disaster like this, whether it's a fire or a flood or an earthquake, and you're right, they are called preppers. And these are people who have built homes in isolated locations, who have um, built sort of earthquake-proof and waterproof and, and, and storm-proof facilities with safe rooms, and they've stuck all of their earthly belongings and presumably also all of their considerable sums of money within these houses, and they are ready for end of days.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think it's too much of a stretch to say these are also MAGA supporters? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess supporters are giving conspiracy theorists a really bad name because they're coming up with such harebrained schemes and conspiracies that really, they stretch the imagination. Um you know, doomsday conspiracy um, is, is widespread. I think the MAGA, MAGA troops have a fairly good grip on on, on that sort of strand, um, but they're not alone.
0: No, they certainly are. Well, Chris Chelmack actually uh, gave us a great story about this. So he says, former US President Donald Trump now faces four different criminal indictments, including in Georgia and at the federal level for his alleged role in attempting to overturn the 2020 election. But listening to conservative media in the United States will give you an extremely different impression of what that means. So Chris has been digging deep into the conspiracies and alternative realities presented by Donald Trump's media supporters. When
2: you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. This is the persecution of the person that's leading by very, very substantial numbers in the Republican primary and leading Biden by a lot.
3: In my visits to the scene of all three of Donald Trump's arraignments so far this year, I would typically hear from his supporters that I, like so many other mainstream media outlets, have had the wool pulled over my eyes. That I cannot see the truth about Joe Biden's deep state conspiracy to lock up Donald Trump. So, for those of you who have also had the wool pulled over your own eyes, here's a little explainer. If you are into the world of conservative media outlets in the United States, these last weeks of trials and indictments will have looked extremely different to you. For one thing, there's an entirely different potential trial next year that you'll have been hearing about
2: the most. We begin tonight with this news, bombshell new developments for James Comer's investigation into the possible Biden family syndicate, or enterprise if you live in Georgia, if you prefer, uh, very real
3: allegations of bribery and money laundering. Hunter Biden, son of Joe Biden saw his plan to plead guilty to tax misdemeanor charges collapse this month. That means that President Biden faces the awkward possibility of his son facing trial, yes, next year, in the middle of the 2024 election. And before the liberal intelligentsia say this is comparing apples and oranges, Fox News host Sean Hannity here is doing far more than attacking Joe Biden's son. He's laying the blame squarely at the president himself alleging that Father Joe profited from his son's many business deals and actually may have changed U.S. policy as vice president to benefit his son's work as a lobbyist at a Ukrainian oil company. And it looks like the big guy was possibly sending drafts
2: of a speech to the Ukrainian parliament to his son Hunter, who at the time, we know, was addicted to drugs and uh, had no experience in Ukraine, energy,
3: or oil. This would, of course, be a major scandal a former vice president, now president, selling his office to enrich his son. Only that proof of Joe Biden's direct involvement in any of his son's business dealings, which Hannity here so openly claims as fact, the emails and phone calls, has yet to be presented, or uncovered, by investigating Republicans. Joe Biden's son Hunter clearly seems to have used his father's name to gain favors, but there's no evidence that Joe Biden agreed or gave him the favors he desired. Still, if you listen to conservative media outlets, this is a done deal, and should be a far more important focus of your attention than that other pending trial, or four, that is set for next year. What we're seeing is absolutely unprecedented targeting of a political opponent. Speaking of those other pending trials, of Joe Biden's rival, Donald J. Trump, the line here is very clear as well. While Trump is being charged with a conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election result, what's really happening to Donald Trump amounts to election interference itself, perpetrated by the Biden-run Justice Department. In fact, as another Fox News host Rachel Duffy says here, it's the classic playbook of all authoritarian regimes.
2: It's interesting, this week also, we see Alexei Navalny. He is Putin's biggest critic and opponent getting put in jail. By the way, Britain, the UN, the EU, all issuing statements about how bad it is that Putin is trying to jail his opponent. Wonder if those guys, those same organizations will come um, into the defense of Donald Trump. Probably not.
3: This too is a line that's common throughout the conservative media world. Never mind the fact that Joe Biden and the US Justice Department have gone as far as they possibly can to distance themselves from the charges against Trump appointing an independent special counsel in Jack Smith. If you listen to conservative media, this is very clearly an effort by Biden to undermine his likely 2024 challenger for the presidency. And they back this up with a different point as well. The argument that, basically, Democrats have committed all of the same crimes as Donald Trump and gotten away with it. This too is an extremely popular argument in conservative circles, as described here by the podcaster Ben Shapiro. So, should he be prosecuted or not? Well, in any normal circumstance,
2: the answer would be yes, sure, why not? Of course, if you commit a crime, you should be prosecuted for the crime. The problem is, once James Comey let Hillary Clinton off the hook for crimes, at that point, the answer becomes no. And the answer becomes no, because if only one side has to play by the rules, then the rules are not rules, they are just a double standard, they are just a weapon. And the same thing is happening right
3: here. And you thought Hillary's emails were a thing of the past. Put another way to me by a Trump supporter in Miami, if everybody speeds down the road, but you're only ticketing Trumpers and Republicans, well, then something is wrong with your justice system. And it's a very effective strategy because it basically allows Trump to commit crimes. The point here is not that Trump did nothing wrong, but that he's being selectively charged for crimes that so many politicians have committed, even acting, as Trump is alleged to have done in the Georgia indictment, As a mob boss, here's Ben Shapiro again. What I would like is actually widespread use of RICO to go after
2: various criminal enterprises run by politicians. I wrote an entire book called The People versus Barack Obama, in which I suggested that Barack Obama had very likely engaged in, by Fannie Willis' definition, RICO violations. Take, for example, the IRS scandal. The IRS scandal, Barack Obama and his minions went out in public and repeatedly said that it would be amazing if the IRS audited and removed the tax exemption for pretty much every conservative group in America leading up to the 2010 election. And then they actually went and they did it. And then the IRS went and did it. And he said, well, I never meant for them to do it. Well, I mean, again, that looks very much like the sort of
3: mafioso activity Rico was meant to stop in the first place. So there you go. A brief look at the world according to conservative media. If you do wonder why Donald Trump still maintains support in Republican circles, despite facing four criminal indictments, this would be part of the reason. He's the victim of a broad conspiracy by Democrats to undermine democracy, and this is a theory that is told day in and day out in conservative media circles. An alternative reality. It's no wonder our country is so deeply polarized. in Washington, I'm Chris Chermack.
0: Many thanks there to Chris Chermack. And of course, one of the some of the crimes that he, he has been accused of haven't come to court, and it's about his absolutely reprehensible behavior with women.
1: Um, that's right. And it all began with that um recording of, you know that was leaked off the campaign bus when he was talking about what he you know what famous people are able to yeah. do with women and has haunted him ever since
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, well I did see a lovely comment earlier saying that out of everybody he's ever employed, Stormy Daniels was the only one to do her job. <laughs> 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 uh, but groping is a problem, and not just amongst politicians uh, it 's become a big thing going on in japan
1: that 's right've i 've come across a story in the japan Times that um is precisely about a per, a, a persistent problem in japan but also points to a broader trend and and so the headline in the japan times today is dj soda incident spotlights prevalence of groping in japan dj soda is a prominent and famous south korean um, musical artist and, and dj she was at a music festival in in japan and during an audience sort of interaction session she was groped by her fans and and groping in Japan in crowded public places, particularly on the metro, is a huge problem and and The Japan Times goes on to elaborate how big the problem is and how in fact, there are even um, phone apps that allow you to um, report Incidents of groping and that uh, also allow you to appeal for help and assistance from people who may be in close proximity. Um, What I thought was also interesting about this particular piece is that it points to an emerging level of hostility towards performing artists. Um, And we've seen over the past several weeks and months incidents of um, performers at concerts like DJ Soda um, having things thrown at them mm. while they're on the stage. And and the list is long and growing. Um, Harry Styles has had something thrown at him at a concert. Drake had something thrown at him. Cardi B had something thrown at her. Um, a performer called B.B. um whose name I'm probably mispronouncing, has also been hit. Um, in some cases, people are throwing drinks onto the stage. In other cases, they're throwing mobile phones at performers and Cardi B most famously turned around to somebody who threw a a cocktail at her and threw her microphone at their head.
0: And somebody threw their mother's ashes, didn't they?
1: (laughs) I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, extraordinary.
1: <laughs> so all part and parcel of, of, of certain social trends and developments that um, uh, you might not have anticipated.
0: Yeah. Well, in fact, I mean, it's become so serious in Japan that uh, you, that uh, some of the um, uh, foreign services, so embassies, are, uh, Brit- Britain and Canada have issued travel advisories over groping. Uh, Britain says reports of inappropriate touching of female passengers on commu- commuter trains are fairly common.
1: Yeah, that's, that's extremely regrettable. They're typically aimed... At younger women. Um, And in fact, I think the story does also go on to say um, that there are certain trains or certain carriages on trains in Japan um, that are women only Mm. um, designed to help um, women protect themselves from predatory um, Japanese salarymen.
0: Now, of course, there are lots of travel advisories about lots of different places, people saying obviously don't go to places with fires at the moment, Uh, be be aware of extreme weather. But it's also about triple checking your accommodation because quite often people uh, book into places, well, not quite often, but it has been known that people book into places that simply don't exist. And you get there and what's been promised on Airbnb or Booking.com was something amazing and it A, doesn't exist or B, is something entirely different.
1: Imagine the person who went on to booking.com and fancied a trip um, to Portland Port in Dorset um, and, and booked a room on a facility called the Bibby Stockholm. Um, This is of of taking the Mickey. This is an absolute classic and and sort of gold medal winner of the genre because somebody has taken the Bibby Stockholm, um, which is a facility for migrants and for refugees to the United Kingdom um, that that was designed to to warehouse, essentially, individuals seeking asylum in the UK. Um, It has not yet um, been used because it's now plagued with Legionella. Uh, bacteria that has potentially dis- disabling carries a potentially disabling disease somebody took this facility and put it on booking.com
0: <laughs> and they were offering breakfast vegetarian or not <laughs> uh,
1: there were some sightseeing tips about what you can do in the environs um, uh, you know this is this is a, a a modern story that that encompasses so many different phenomena and that is about sort of online abuse and you know the 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 recurring you know not death of irony um and and just um what happens when when internet websites run amok. um booking dot com has taken the listing down um, i'm not sure that anybody. Um, has stayed there. What I note, though, in this piece that was on the BBC website um, is that they were getting 86 pounds a night, um, <laughs> you know, which is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, and But you get a double room, you get one bed, you get breakfast, and <laughs> the booking.com said, better hurry, only one room left at this price. Um, well,
0: you see, we did manage to find a silly story in the silly season.
1: That's right. Just a little bit of light humor to end the morning.
0: The thing is, is that for me, every time anybody says Bibi Stockholm, I think of a porn star. I mean, wouldn't that be a perfect porn star name?
1: Well, now that you've put it that way, I don't know if I'm going to be able to think about it in any other <laughs> way. It's a, it's an unusual name for for a sort of a, a, for a vessel um, and and now bears further
0: research. You must have done that game where you calculate your porn star name by the name of your first pet and the road that you first lived in.
1: Oh, God, that comes out super ugly for me. I'm not even going to go there. No?
0: Damn. Well, Um, for me, it's zippy St. Alban.
1: (laughs) I love it. You've got a great career ahead of you, Georgina. It's all i can do. to cash in now.
0: (laughs) Okay, I'm off to do that. So I think we better end the program there. Charles Hecker or what might we call you?
1: Rusty Wild Duck.
0: Thank you very much to Rusty Wild Duck. Also to our studio engineer in London, who's Steph Chungu, our producer, Isabella Jewell. Uh, And Monocle on Saturday returns next weekend. I'm Zippy St. Alban. Thank you for listening.